I, um, as I was thinking about uh, where we're going this morning, uh, if you're new with us or, or just joining us, we're in the series that we're calling Advent Conspiracy, and, and there's a lot of churches around the nation that, that have been going through a similar series, and we're asking a simple question. Uh, we're sort of observing, one, that the first Christmas made a pretty big difference. I think that's an, an understatement. Um, that the original Christmas made a, a definitive difference in our, in our world. Um, and we're simply stepping back to ask, ask the question, is it possible that Christmas could once again make a difference? Uh, sort of beyond the consumerism, beyond the presents, beyond the Santa, beyond the, the families getting together, and, and none of that stuff is bad. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily leave us with a lasting, making a lasting difference. And so we wanted to ask this Christmas season, what might it look like to reread the Christmas story in a way that brought life to the people around us, that brought hope to where there's despair, that brought light to darkness? And so we've been wrestling with some ideas like how do we, how do we worship Jesus more fully during this season? How do we, how do we spend less and give more? I know some of you didn't come back after the spend less message. That's all right. I forgive you. I'm still getting glares in the hallway from kids when I walk down. They're just shaking their head at me, you know, arms crossed. It's all right. Well, we can be friends after this. Um, it's okay. And we, we, uh, we asked the question, and we're going to ask the question this week. Um, what does it look like to, to, to love all? And as I reread, and, and I've been sort of just going through the different gospel accounts of Matthew's account of the Christmas story and, and, and Luke's narrative that's probably the most complete and sort of fills in, uh, Matthew sort of fills in some of the, the holes. And then John's account of uh, the incarnation, and, and it's sort of Christmas from heaven's viewpoint. Here's the thing that, that I started to realize this year, maybe more than any other year, is that I've heard this story, this Christmas story, so many times that it's sort of become normal. This sort of become normal. And, and, and here's the deal. It's not normal. It's, there's nothing that's normal about it. And I love that we get these reminders in our lives at certain times. And, and if you have kids, you might be able to relate to this. Or, or you've had kids at home. And um, there are kids constantly remind us that life isn't supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be abnormal. So, so the, other, the other day, Kelly and I were lying in bed. And, and sleeping because it was four in the morning and our son Ethan came wandering in and he's been doing this like middle of the night and he wanders in and I don't know where he got this but he had a granola bar with him and he's sitting in between us and sort of lying arms up on the bed and he's munching on a granola bar at 4 a.m. and I wake up and I look at him and I'm like hungry He's like, yeah, daddy, I've got a granola bar. And I'm like, he's like, it's all taken care of, you know, but I just, oh, man, I mean, all the time. Here's the other thing he does. This kid um, got these gloves that you'll, uh, yeah, and yeah, we went in and took a picture of him when he was sleeping. But he got these gloves, these little, these little mittens at Target, and he will not take them off. <laughs> so even when he's fast asleep. Now, now here, just by show of hands, anybody worn mittens to bed lately? No, it's not. It is not normal. I mean, we can't. So, so he's, got, he's got his own sense of style, and I wouldn't consider it normal. I mean, 
He walks downstairs, I kid you not, he walks downstairs ready to go to preschool, rocking the sweatpants, the Hawaiian shirt, and the crazy wig. I mean, like, it's comfy, I guess. Kid loves sweatpants. Comfort over style. He is all about it early on. And I started to, as I've sort of interacted with him, and, and I love his quirkiness. I love his, his just zeal for life. And I, and I love just that he's not normal. I mean, how boring would normal be? He's not that. And as I read back through this Christmas story, I'm going, there is so much that's not normal. But you see, here's the, here's the danger, is that you may have sat in church for so long that you read it and you go, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. But if we were to just sort of hear it fresh for the first time, I mean, from, from everything in the story, from, from, the, from the how, even, a virgin pregnant, that's abnormal abnormal from the from the what of the story the the fact that that god would clothe himself in humanity and and come for us on a on a rescue mission the what of the story is just it's abnormal it's it's crazy from the who uh, who he would interact with and who he would make this announcement to these 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 sort of blue collar shepherd irreligious men out in the field that, that these would be the guys and we'll look at them a little bit closer this morning but that these would be the guys that get the first declaration the announcement that that god is with us i mean virgin birth god clothing himself in humanity to rescue people who are actively against him. To the announcement to shepherds in a field. I mean, you get the fact that, that, that God became man, that, that, that Jesus was dependent on Mary for everything. Everything. I mean, his very life is in the hands of this teenage mom. And we sit here year after year after year and go... Yeah, that's a Christmas story. No, that's craziness. That is, and, and I just, I hope it's fresh for you this morning. I hope it maybe has a little bit of a flavor of being just new because this story should never get old. And maybe the craziest part about it, the story, it, it maybe isn't the what or the who or the how, but I think the craziest part of the story is the why. I think the craziest part of the story is the why. I mean, why did he come? And if you fast forward to a verse in John that you've heard many times, most likely, and, and seen at football games, this is the way that John, one of Jesus' good friends, recounts Jesus saying it. And he says, For God so loved the world that he, what? That he gave. That he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, see the, the what of the story is pretty crazy. The how of the story is very strange. The who, as we'll see today, is not who you'd expect. But the why, man, 
The fact that God would clothe himself in humanity, why? You don't have to wonder why. The reason that we celebrate Christmas, the reason that God came was because he loved. And because he loves. No questions. I mean, that is why he came. And here's the even crazier part about the story. That may be normal if you knew that people were going to love you back. But that's not the story. The story is that God loves and that God comes and that God clothes himself in humanity even though he knows. And we could get into a a whole theological debate here. And if you want to do that afterwards, I'll be right up front. But he knows that not everybody is going to reciprocate. And yet his heart's on the table. His his life is clothed in humanity. Why? Because he loves who? Yeah. The, The world. That's John's way of saying everybody, including sinful people who hate him, who who might even try to kill him. Even them. Even them. Here's the scary part about not only Christmas, but about just the the story that God is telling through history in general. It's that he doesn't just invite us to hear the story. He doesn't invite us. His invitation is not for you to come every, every Christmas season and hear the story about the baby born in Bethlehem a little bit over 2,000 years ago. He doesn't come so that we can just sing songs and have a nostalgic feel, although that's not bad. That's good. <laughs> but that's not why. That's not why we gather. That's not why we come. We don't come to simply hear the story, and you don't come to hear me tell the story. God is interested in way more than you hearing. He's interested way more in you telling. He is interested in you living this crazy story. So, so, so Christmas should make us step back a little bit because God is making an invitation to you and to me. Not, not just to hear the story about the baby born of a virgin in a little uh, garage 2,000 years ago, but he's saying, how do you, South Fellowship, how do you, whoever you are, wherever you come from, live out this story? And here's the deal. The story isn't normal. So if you think you can just go about your life in the normal sort of every day and, and fit in and live the story, good luck. Because the story is very weird from the from the who to the what to the how but man definitely to the why see his love by our definition is illogical and irrational because it is so grand you've never laid eyes on a person that it does not encompass. That verse does not apply to. There's no footnote. John's not going, hey, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There's not, there's not a little um, A after that, C bottom, C footnote, except people who are fill in the blank. There's no footnote. So I want to step back this morning and have us ask ourselves the question. What does it look like 
to not just hear the story, but to live the story. See, because here's the deal. Jesus is calling you not only to hear it, but he's calling you, he's inviting you in his goodness and his grace to you because he's for your joy. Hear me on this. This is not, this is not dutiful obedience. This is hedonistic quest for joy. He's inviting you and me to live this story, to live it out. And I think one of the ways that we get the best picture of what that looks like is if we just look a little bit deeper into the way that Luke tells the story. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. I'll give you a second to turn there. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I mean, can you blame them? Minding their own business, all of a sudden light show, and they're sort of, you know, elbowing each other. I'm sure wondering, are you seeing this too? It's not just bad pizza I ate. They're like, no, we see it. We see it. They're terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I'm sure that did it. I'm sure they were like, all right, cool. Yeah, now we're all right. (laughs) I bring you good news of great joy that will be for... Oh, whoa. There's that word again. See, obviously, John... Or Luke didn't get the memo. See, we teach this in premarital counseling all the time. You stay away from absolutes. They get you in trouble. The, you always do this. You never do that. You just, you don't say those things because they're just not true. Most of the time. In this case, good news I love that he has to use these modifiers because Luke could have easily wrote or the angels could have easily said, we bring you news of joy that's for people. But he wants you to hear something. He wants you to hear that this isn't your normal news, that this is good news. And that this isn't your normal joy. This isn't the sort of the Christmas joy that we get in these next few days leading up to Christmas that then sort of subsides afterwards. This isn't your normal news. This isn't your normal joy. And this isn't for just some people. See, what the angels want these shepherds to hear is this is good news of great joy that's for all people. And see, what they need to hear too, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, is, hey, shepherds, This is good news of great joy that includes you, too. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Evidently, there weren't a lot of those lying around. That's their sign There couldn't be too many of them. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared. This is sort of after they're able to catch their breath a little bit. 
the, the terrified nature of seeing one angel. They're like, okay, we're all right with this. We're cool with this. What did he say? Good news, great joy, all people. All right, we can remember that. And then suddenly... A great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You wonder if the, if the shepherds start going, I wonder if we're those people on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. These are, these are some of our first evangelists. I mean, these are just, these are, as we're going to talk about, pretty normal guys. And they hear this message of Jesus and they say, our lives will never be the same. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What can, we, what can we learn about the Christmas story that we're invited to live through this passage, through this, this simple Christmas narrative? See, there's so much that Luke packs into this little sort of this short description of what happened when Jesus was born. And, and I just want to focus on one little tiny bit to sort of ask the question, how do we live this good news of great joy for all People, how do we how do we move from just hearing the story and it's great to hear it and I'm glad we're hearing it. It's a good thing, but but the goal is not just to hear it and it's not just to tell it, but it's to live it. How do, how do we live this out? What do we see in this passage that would invite us to live it out amongst our friends and our families and our workplaces and wherever else God should lead? And, and I want to do that by just focusing on essentially one verse, and it's this verse. Verse 8. And there were, what? Shepherds living in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I love that the declaration, in many ways, the culmination of humanity up to this point, that the declaration comes to guys who aren't waiting for it, aren't hoping for it, and aren't that interested in it. I mean, these aren't the religious guys. These aren't the guys who are studying their Bibles all the time. In fact, we're going to talk about the fact that they probably didn't even go and weren't even ceremonially clean, but they are completely uninterested in the story. I mean, can you blame them? It's been 400 years since they've heard a prophetic utterance from God. 400 years. It's been 700 years since Isaiah said you'll, you'll have a sign. It's, the sign is that a virgin will be with child. 700 years. And these guys are going about their normal, everyday life. They're busy with work. They're not waiting on this promise. And 
that's the people that God chooses to break into humanity and say, I have come, I have saved, I am here, and I've made a way. See, here's the deal. If we're going to move beyond just hearing and move to actually living, I think it means for us, for you and for me, that we seek ways to proclaim good news to those who are uninterested, unengaged, outside of these walls. I mean, if you look back through the the story of the early disciples, what you're going to find is that this is exactly the people that Jesus called. The early disciples had, had just gotten done fishing all night. They'd caught nothing. They're, they're washing and preparing their nets for the next day. And everybody else in the town comes to hear Jesus, except these guys. They're just working. They're busy. They're, they're sort of on their normal schedule. And Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? I want to get in your boat. I want to use you to be part of my story. They're the only guys that are going, we're not hanging on your every word. We don't really care. We just want to go to sleep. We're hungry. And see, everybody except Jesus knows you don't mess with a guy when he's tired and hungry. But Jesus is different. He's different. He's saying, I'm for the person who's uninterested. I'm for the person that's outside of these walls. Even if you look through the if you look through Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. I mean, I love the fact that God continues to use people who are disinterested, who, who, who are sort of along for the ride in some ways. And I started to ask myself this question. I want to ask you too. What would happen if we stopped saying no for people? I mean, what would happen if we stopped just automatically assuming because a person is far away from God that they didn't have a deep longing in their soul? What would happen if we stopped saying no for somebody on their behalf instead of letting them say no for themselves? It might be the greatest principle that anybody ever taught me in ministry. It was simply, Ryan, don't say no for anybody. It changed the way I walked onto college campuses as a college pastor. It changed the way it changes the way that I interact with people. And, and here's the deal, friends. I'm so glad that my friend senior year of high school didn't say no for me. I'm so glad that he didn't think this kid's been around the story for so long and he didn't get it and there's no way he's going to. And I just sense God saying, "Listen, if we're going to if we're going to live the story and not just hear it and not just tell it, then our eyes need to be reopened to the people who are around us, maybe in the everyday, who we just said no for for so long. And the Christmas story reminds us, hey, if people are going to say no, let them say it for themselves. See, see, these shepherds, everything about them said that they should have been written off. But God says, I see you, and and I'm with you, and even though you're far away from me, I'm going to break into your world. I love the way that, that Dallas Willard puts it when he says this, the first act of love is paying attention to someone. The first act of love is just simply stepping back and noticing 
and paying attention in a way where we say, I'm going to hope for you. Instead of assuming a no, I'm going to assume yes, and I'm going to move forward on it. How might that change our relationships? How might it change our workplace? How might that change our world? See, the way I rationalize it is, man, these angels had an amazing message. Of course God would interrupt their life. Of course he would interrupt their work. Of course he would interrupt everything that these shepherds had going on. And I sense the Holy Spirit saying to me, what do you think about the message you carry? See, the message that you carry wherever you go, the message that you have the chance to, to live is good news of great joy for all. See, you won't lay eyes on somebody who's outside of that. Good news of great joy for all. And so these, these shepherds who... For all we know, are really disinterested. They leave everything and go, and they find this baby. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields. Now, anybody ever been camping? Been backpacking? After a week, you, you don't smell that great, you don't look that great. Now, anybody ever lived out in a field? I see a few nods are going, uh-huh, amen. Anybody ever lived out in a field with a bunch of sheep? See, here's the deal. If you live out in a field, and the Gospel of Luke tells us they lived out in the field with a bunch of sheep. Here's a pop quiz. I know that you're a smart group. What do you start to smell like? Sheep. I knew you were smart. I knew you are See, these shepherds. Not only are they just going about their everyday, normal, everyday lives, they are just cranking on what's in front of them. They're protecting these sheep. They're guarding these sheep. They're doing their job. But they've been doing it for a while. They're living out in the field. And so if you're around sheep, living in a field, you smell like sheep. So the people that God decides to make this amazing declaration to aren't the guys in the temple who are ceremonially clean. They aren't the guys who have it all together. They're the guys who in many ways are unlikely and unlovely. They have been living with sheep for who knows how. Don't you just imagine that, that this, these marching orders in heaven, you know, the angels sort of gather around the throne and God's like, the time has come. The time for what? The time to redeem humanity. And they're like, oh, no way. They get to be redeemed? And as Peter writes about this, the angels long to look in on the redemption that we've and the marching orders come from the throne of God and he gathers this one angel and he says, I want you to go and I want you to make announcement that I am coming, that I am saving, that I am a God who's here, that I'm not just going to let them perish and drown, but that I am going to rescue and I want you to make the announcement to, an a, to, to shepherds living in a field right outside of Bethlehem. And you could hear the screech marks on the road of heaven as the angel went, whoa, 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 whoa. I just he said, 
shepherds. You wonder if, if, if there are questions in heaven, if, if they're going, you ask it. Because I, did you hear, did you hear shepherds? I heard shepherds. Because it's just not who you'd expect. They're, they're unlikely, they're unlovely, they, they smell, they don't look the part. I mean, that doesn't make sense. You got a lot of people who built their life around waiting. You had a lot of people who sat in the silence, who hoped, who their whole world revolved around, this could be the year. I know we've waited 400 years, but this could be the time that God breaks in and that he saves. But it wasn't these guys. It wasn't these guys. And so we have to stop and we have to, to wonder, why is it that God loves to reach people who are unlikely? who are unlovely, who don't look the part. See, because here's, here's what I've been convicted by this, this week, is that I have a lot easier time interacting with people about faith who are in the church than, who, than those who are in the fields. He, he, Jesus, God could have found somebody in a church. He could have found somebody in the temple. He could have made that work. This was not last resort. This was intentional. I am coming for people who are in need. I mean, these guys weren't ceremonially clean. They were out in the field. They were living in the field. That meant that they did not get to go to church on the Sabbath, quote unquote. It means that they probably didn't participate in in the feasts. It meant that they were on the outside. They weren't ceremonial clean. In fact, shepherds were so lowly, they were so looked down upon, that their testimony was given zero weight in any legal court. They weren't allowed to testify because people simply didn't believe them. And God goes, yeah, they're my mouthpiece. That's who I'm coming to. They're going to spread the word. How many people have I written off? Because they didn't, they didn't look the part. They didn't talk the part. Here's the people I'm comfortable with. I'm just honest. Here's the people I'm comfortable with. The people who Christianity would make a nice addition to their already good-looking life. You've had this thought? That, oh, they have the perfect family. They drive the right car. They live in the right neighborhood. They talk right. They wash their mouth. They don't swear. I'm comfortable around them. If only they were a Christian then. But the Christmas story isn't for people who have it all together. This love that God has isn't just for people who who look right and talk right and act right. And if only they were also followers of Jesus. It's for people who are far off. Not only that, but it is good news of great joy for all people. All people. And, and as I mentioned, you look back through the genealogy and you have, you have Abraham, who's sort of this, he's a father of faith, but it's a pretty weak faith in some ways. 
You read through it a little bit more and you have a guy named Jacob who's a, who's a swindler, who's a, who's a liar, who steals from his brother. You read a little bit further, you have a woman named Rahab who is a prostitute. Read a little bit further, you have Solomon who's the offspring of David and Bathsheba, an adulterous affair. And it's as though God takes this bullhorn and goes, I'm for anyone and everyone. Quit drawing hedges around my love. It's way bigger than you can imagine. It's way better than you can imagine. So here's why that's good news for you this morning. Because some of you walk in these doors, maybe you walk in every Sunday and you think, yeah, it's true for everyone except me. Here's how I know that, because some of you have said that to me. I believe that. I believe it's true, but just it's true for everyone except me. No, it's true for everyone, including you. No matter how far you are away, his love is not confined by any sin, by any past, by any regret, by any lifestyle, by any You fill in the blank. This is good news of great joy for all. And friends, what would it look like for us in a renewed way to start embracing the fact that God didn't come for, or didn't make his announcement to to the kings, to the religious people, but he made it to shepherds. How might that, how, how might that change the way that we view our work, our neighborhood, Man, does it mean that maybe, just maybe we could get out of our comfort zone a little bit and invite somebody to come to Christmas Eve with us? And there's a simple, practical application. And there's no other time of year that people will be more open to that. You cannot find a time of year where it's less awkward to invite somebody to church. This is the pinnacle. Seize it. Good news of great joy for all people. I love that Paul writes that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Can I just say, I hope that, I hope we never become too polished. I hope we never become a place. I hope we never become a church where where people who are wrestling with real issues in life don't feel welcome here. My my prayer is that God would bring many, many people to himself through self. My, My prayer is that we wouldn't be so polished that people who are homeless cannot find a home here. My prayer is that we wouldn't have it so together or pretend, let's just be honest, pretend like we have it so together that people who are obviously far from God would not feel at home here. Lord, forgive us if we ever become a place where the healthy who need a doctor can't find one because we're too pretty. I love that the Christmas story, the declaration of God to shepherds. Busy, uninterested, ceremonially unclean, and the last people you'd ever choose. And one of the reasons I love that 
because that's my story. I mean, and if you're honest, it's, it's yours too. That we were dead in our transgressions and sins and He made us alive. That we were far from God, alienated from Him, and He woke up our cold, stony, dead heart and breathed life into what was dead. And He brought life and hope to where there was only despair. This is your story. You're, you are the shepherds. I am a shepherd. Praise Him that He redeems people like us. Verse 8, And there were shepherds, and they were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. It was a lowly job. I mean, I mean, in many cases, it was kids who did this job because you didn't really have to do a whole lot. You just, you had to be present. You had to be aware. You had to scare away animals that came. But your presence was simply your job. You just had to be there. It didn't take a lot of brains, which is why they didn't allow them to make testimonies in court. It didn't take a lot of skill, which is why a child was able to do it. And so it didn't pay a whole lot. I mean, they're living out in a field. So, so the original message comes to those who are disinterested, unengaged, busy, unlikely and unlovely, and completely under-resourced. I mean, these are, these are poor men who spend the majority of their time with sheep. And so if we're going to live the story and not just hear it and not just tell it, we have to wrestle with this question. How do we find ways to walk with the under-resourced? How do we find ways not to just not, not just write off the poor, but engage them, walk with them? See, here's my tendency. My tendency is I could never do something to help everyone. It's true, right? I mean, we can't, we can't help everyone. What if, what if we weren't called to help everyone, though? What if we were just called to help whom God brings into our sphere of influence? I love the way, I love the way that Mother Teresa puts it. And she says this, if I look at the masses, I won't act. If I look at one, I will. And you read through the pages of scripture, you read back through Mary's song where she says, He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. See, the very core of the Christmas story is a God who says, the under-resourced are close to my heart. They're close to my heart. And my prayer is that they would be close to ours too. And I want to um, just allow you to hear a little bit of a, a story testimony from Pete and Sue. You guys can come on up um, about how God's using them and working in their hearts and in their lives um, in this area to ask the question in a fresh way. How do we walk with the underprivileged, the under-resourced, the poor in our area? And so, hi. It's on. It's on. Can you hear me? It's on. I wanted to just, I'm going to ask them a few questions and give them a chance to respond. But you guys are involved in, uh, with Vision Trust in Liberia, and I want to ask why. Okay. Uh, first, I want to also um, 
include uh, other people in our group. It's not just Please. us. Um, Bobby Andrews, who's uh, teaching right now in Liberia, and also uh, Glenn Pete Peterson uh, is also on our team from our church. Um, but we were in a small group, and God invited us to, um, to to learn about Liberia, to find out what's going on there. And <clears throat> essentially, um, all the poorest countries in the world are in Africa, you know, the top poorest countries, and Liberia is one of the poorest of the poor. They went through um, 14 years of civil war that absolutely decimated the country, decimated the infrastructure. And um, when you think about extreme poverty, the people who suffer the most are, you know, the the weakest people in the society, and that tends to be the children and uh, what the Bible calls the least of these. And um, in Liberia, about 20,000 children die every year from preventable diseases, malnutrition, um, and it's a big number. And you think about the, the 20 children who were killed in Connecticut, right? Well, this is 20,000 people every year. And so <clears throat> through our small group, and we started learning more and more about it, we decided that um, God was calling us to um, uh, this little village in Liberia, this little school that was, um, you know, kind of forgotten about by the world. Mm-hmm. As you said, um, God was kind of pointing us in that direction. And so we got involved in, um, we went there, uh, started working with the school, and um, it's all about um, feeding children who are malnutritioned um, and uh, education, uh, getting them education, health care, things like that. But also not just the physical needs of these children, but also their spiritual needs. So you went over to Liberia um, a few months ago. July. Will you just July. Will you just sort of give us a picture of, of what you saw? Oh, speaking of a picture of what you saw, can I show that? Yeah. Okay. So right there you're seeing a little boy um, having to pump water into into big old plastic bins. They put them on their heads, and off they go. And four little children show up with bins on their heads. They don't have running water at their little houses that are made of clay. They don't have electricity. And I was one of those that would watch the commercials about Africa and go, yeah, that's Africa. That's Africa. I wasn't raising my hand. You know, I'll become saved, but I don't want to go to Africa. I was never one of those Christians. So it's just... You know, when you were talking about the unlikely and the, all that, it's like I was never expecting to go to Africa, but mm-hmm. it's been cool to have that experience. But um, what's really cool is the, he mentioned Vision Trust. We've partnered with Vision Trust. They choose godly men to oversee the school, so they actually go and look, and they're looking for a long time. Pick a godly man to oversee a school who's passionate about Jesus, wants kids to come to know Jesus but also recognizes their immediate needs of food, water, education. So neat. So what we saw was a lot of poverty. <laughs> yeah. Show one more picture. How is, uh, let me ask you this, how is God using your partnership here um, in your lives? As we, as we sort of seek to ask the question, how do we move beyond hearing and step into living? How has, how has living out the story of Christ's good news for all people, how has that changed you? For me personally, I think um, looking at no matter where you live, if you're in Africa, wherever, how precious our hearts are to God. Mm -hmm. So you see these children and you might evaluate them of being eight years old, 10 years old. There's actually, they're probably older than what you look at them, but God just loves their hearts and are after their hearts. So that's Mm -hmm. how I think just my own journey as well as just even um, seeing these children as how much God loves them and how precious they are to Him. Neat. Neat. Do you want to say anything in answer to that, or 
have one more question for you. Why? Um, so tomorrow we're going to take an offering to uh, Christmas Eve um, that goes directly to your partnership with Vision Trust. Why would you encourage people to give to that? Um, one of the things about when you go over to Africa and you see these children and, and how they're living, you know, the poorest of the poor in America would be considered pretty well off by African standards. I mean, it's just amazing. And that $5, which is the cost of going to Starbucks and getting, you know, a cup of coffee, $5 in, of American, uh, you know, money would, would literally feed one of these children for a month. Um, and so you, know, you start thinking about what's important in, in life and, and what's important maybe to God, you know, and you look at these, these kids' faces and you see how they're living and um, they don't really have a safety net over there. Um, any, any, anything goes wrong and it's pretty grim. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, our resources here can go very far in a place like Africa. And so it's, uh, it's exciting to be part of the story that, that, uh, that God is, is putting together here. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I, I love the fact that God would invite us. I mean, I mean, he could have in his goodness invited us to hear the story. He could have in his grace invited us to even retell the story. But because he's for our joy and wants us to live fully completely, wholly, and totally alive. He's invited us not just to tell it and not just to hear it, but to live it. But to live it. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Maybe God puts uh, partnering with um, the Liberia mission on your heart. Maybe he doesn't. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit will speak to you if you're open today. Because I'm convinced that this is close to the heart of God. That he is for people who are outside of these walls. That his first declaration was to people you would never guess and never expect and probably never hope. And it still is. It still is. May we always be a church that says to him, Jesus, we don't want to be hearers only. We want to be doers of your word. Just really quick before we close. I, one of the greatest examples I think we've had of this, especially during this season, is, has been um, Chris and the youth and the way that they have just led the charge for us to be out in the community with, with door hangers, inviting people to Little Town of Lights, to running Little Town of Lights, to helping with a food drive at North Littleton Promise, to adopting, yeah, I mean... Anyway, they're back there in that corner. Go give them five after the service. So I want to close with this thought. Here we go. And we'll be done. This opportunity that you have, this opportunity that you have to love the people that God brings into your life, whoever they are, is a momentary gift. Is a momentary gift. You can't love people in the future. You can't love them in the past. You can love them now. Now, and I want to invite you to move beyond telling the story or hearing the story, and I want to invite you to live this story because this story is good news of great joy for all people.
And He is inviting you to reflect it to whomever you come in contact with. And I pray that you will use that gift. I pray that it will, it will own you in a sense that you are just captivated by the goodness and the grace that God would call you when you were far off and that it would tie you up, as Paul writes, that it would compel you to move forward, to love the people around you. He has been exceedingly good to you. May we step into and live out this strange, unbelievable, weird story. It's for all people, not just those we think or expect. Let me pray for us as we do that. Jesus.